First Timothy chapter six. We're going to be covering verses three through twelve. We have a word of prayer over this sermon. Heavenly Father, I pray right now that you would bring all these things to my remembrance. I pray that they would be able to be easy to understand, that all the points that I make would be scriptural. Father, lead my tongue, and uh, Father, I don't want to speak anything not right, um, but I know that I'm a human, and we make mistakes, so please help me. I need your, your guidance, Father, at all times, Father, in speaking and in teaching. Father, I pray that the original intent of these verses would come out in this message and that you would be glorified above all. Father, that it would bring glory to you and, and to your kingdom. Father, we thank you and we praise you. In your Son, Yeshua the Messiah, we pray. Amen. We want to get back to our study of Paul's first epistle to Timothy. I took a little bit of a break from this during the feast, but we're going to study through verses 3 through 12 of the sixth chapter today in this book. And as we study these verses, we're going to see something that the Bible teaches forthrightly. The Bible is going to teach this very, very plainly, very forthrightly. But this forthright teaching is becoming less and less believed by people who claim the Holy Bible as their book in life. And what I mean is this. If you believe that the Bible is inspired by Yahweh, and what that means is that although... Yahweh used men to write the Scriptures. They were inspired by the Spirit of Yahweh, and as they wrote, it wasn't their own interpretations that they were writing, but Yahweh was carrying them along. I believe that that's the case. If you believe that about the Bible, and you believe that the Bible is Yahweh's guidelines, His instructions, and His guidance for your life, then you have to believe what it teaches in the area of limitations in those who will experience eternal salvation. What I mean by that is this. There are limits in regards to who will experience eternal salvation. The Bible is extremely limited. It is extremely discriminating when it talks about those who will experience salvation versus those who will not experience salvation. Very, very discriminating. It is very, very limited in its scope. My point is, is that everybody in the world cannot be right. Everybody can't be right. And we've got this teaching, even in Christendom today, professing Christendom today, of postmodernism and as though that we have to walk on eggshells and think that everybody has their different path to God. And that as long as they're searching or seeking and they've got some kind of emotional thing going on in their life, that everything's okay. Well, if we believe the Bible, if you really believe the Scriptures, then that's not true. It's not. Everybody can't be right. Remember, if the Holy Scriptures are true, and you hold to it, and I mean all of it, then that places an extremely enormous amount of people in the category of lost rather than saved. This goes not just for people who have not accepted the Father and the Son, but also for people that claim to believe in the Father and the Son and even call the Son Lord. But never forget that many people that call Yeshua Lord won't make it to the kingdom. All right? Now, that can't be talking about Muslim people, Hindu people, Jewish people, 
Um, it can't be talking about atheists or agnostics. None of those groups even go so far as to call Yeshua Lord. None of them call Him Lord. That verse is talking about people that profess Him as their Lord. If that doesn't describe a lot of churches in professing Christianity today, then I don't know who it describes. They claim to do many miracles in His name. They claim to cast out demons in His name. They claim to perform many wonderful works in His name. And they call Him Lord, Lord. And He looks at him and He says, Depart from me. I didn't ever know you. You who practice iniquity. You who practice lawlessness. You called me your Lord, but I'm not. That could be you today. You could call Him your Lord, that is your Master, but He's really not. The word Lord means Master, Owner, or Boss. And just because you say one thing with your lips that He's your Lord doesn't mean that He is. It doesn't mean it at all. Luke 6.46, He said, Why do you call me Lord and do not the things that I say? That describes the majority of people that claim to believe the Bible today. They call Him Lord. They go to church. They get a little warm fuzzy in their life. Emotionalism. But they don't live like Yeshua lived. And they don't do the things that Yahweh commands. Is therefore He then your boss? No, He's not. You like to call Him Lord when it's convenient. But you don't like to live the way that He taught. Therefore, you will not experience eternal salvation. You'll be lost. You'll be thrown into Gehenna, to the lake of fire. The bottom line is that the Bible teaches that there will be many who will be lost. It is not everything goes. And it is not well, it's what's in the heart. That second phrase bothers me more than any other. You talk about areas of obedience with people. You talk about making Yeshua your Lord living as though He is the boss of your life, the owner of your life. And they said, well, don't you know that it's all what's in the heart that counts? That bothers me so greatly because, number one, people that say that generally don't understand what that really means. Because you know what? It really is the heart that counts. But what the heart feels and the mind thinks manifests itself in the actions of the person that has the heart and that has the mind. If a man's heart really, really loves Yahweh, it will manifest itself in actions. That man will do, he will make every effort to do the things that Yahweh loves and to not do the things that Yahweh hates. So it is the heart that counts, but people that say that generally live unholy lives and think that somehow it's still going to be okay because they believe in their heart that everything's all right. But it's not. Their heart is a heart of stone. And it's not going to be okay for them. It's not. Everybody can't be right. Everybody's not right. Everybody's not going to be saved. As a matter of fact, most of the people that have ever lived will not be saved. The righteous are scarcely saved, the Bible teaches. Many are called, but only few are chosen. Most people that sit in a pew at a church won't be saved. 
They won't. That's a tough pill to swallow, I know. But it's the Bible. It really is. Everybody can't be right. And that's what Paul's going to talk about here in the sixth chapter of his epistle to Timothy. That's what he's going to start off talking about. Let's look at verse 3. 1 Timothy 6, verse 3. He says, If anyone teaches other doctrine and does not agree with the sound teaching of our Lord, Yeshua the Messiah, and with the teaching that promotes godliness. I want you to notice first here in verse 3 that a word of judgment is being given by Paul. Paul is stating negatively of those who teach different doctrine that is not agreeable to the sound teaching of Yeshua the Messiah. Now some have said that Paul is referring to what he has just taught concerning slaves and obedience to masters in verses 1 through 2. We studied that passage a few weeks ago. Now I would say that I agree that that's part of what Paul is referring to, but there's much more. What Paul is saying here, he is speaking of the teachings of Yeshua in general. If you teach anything contrary to the sound teaching of the Messiah, it's wrong. That's what Paul's saying. Teach and encourage these things at the end of verse 2. And if anybody teaches anything different, and they don't teach something that promotes godliness, that they're wrong. That's what Paul is saying. We've got a lot of professed teaching today in churches, but it doesn't promote godliness. You don't hear from pulpits that you need to live godly lives. Pious lives. One of the definitions of godliness is piety. And piety means that you have a reverence and a love for the Father to such a degree that you're willing to go to the ends of the earth to do what He wants you to do and to disdain what He hates and does not want you to do. That's what it means to be a pious, godly person. And if there's teaching coming across the pulpit, it doesn't matter if they call themselves believing in the Messiah, believing in Christ or not. If the teaching is not promoting godliness and piety, it's of the devil. Sinful, it's wrong. In this case, it refers to Yahweh. Godliness refers to Yahweh being the focal point of your life. So much that you want to do anything that He asks of you. And any church system, any denomination, any organization that makes light of piety and godliness and that even pokes fun and mocks it, like a lot of people do today, is sinful. You don't have to take my word for it. Paul talks about it in the next verse in verse 4. It says if a person does this, he is conceited. And he understands nothing. But he has a sick interest in disputes and arguments over words. From these come envy, quarrelings, slander, evil suspicions. Verse 5. And constant disagreement among men whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth who imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. Paul says that he, this guy that teaches the other doctrine, or they as a group, they're conceited. They think that they know more than Yahweh knows. It says that they do not understand anything. Say, the guy seems pretty intelligent to me. No, the Bible says he doesn't understand anything. He teaches contrary to the sound doctrine. The word sound means wholesome. It's complete. The doctrine of Yeshua the Messiah. Paul continues by saying they have a sick interest in disputes and arguments over words. In other words, they want to dispute and argue over what Yahweh through Yeshua has stated as sound doctrine. 
We've got one such man in town here recently that fits this description. He's came out as a homosexual Christian pastor. There is no such thing as that. You're not a Christian pastor if you're a homosexual. You're a sinner. And if you don't repent, you're going to hell. That's what the Bible teaches. Point blank. I'm not talking about someone that may have temptation to sin, but fights that temptation. I believe there can be a such thing as a person that has homosexual temptations, just like I might have or somebody else might have a temptation to steal. But they fight that temptation. They don't give in to it. They know it's wrong. not talking about that kind of a person. That person can be in the kingdom as long as they continue to fight and to live for Yahweh. But anybody, I don't care who they are, whether they're a pauper or a king, if they come out and they promote sin and say that it's okay, they're going to hell. They are. It's a real place. Yeshua talked about it more than anybody in the New Testament. Gehenna. There's only 13 times that the word Gehenna is even mentioned in the New Testament. And 12 of them come out of the lips of our Lord. And He said, if you're unrepentant, that's where you go. And this man's not only unrepentant, he flaunts this teaching and makes fun of Yahweh's Word. Whereas Yeshua states, like in Matthew 19 and Mark 10, in the beginning, Yahweh made them male and female. This man and many others state that in the beginning, it's okay if there's male and male or female and female. No, Yahweh made them male and female. And He said, for this reason, when a man comes of age, he leaves his what? His father and his mother. That's the family unit. And he goes and he joins himself to who? His wife. It's very, very scriptural. Yahweh calls it an abomination. This is an example, one of many, where somebody has teached other doctrine than the sound teaching of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. And the Bible says that that man is conceited. He doesn't understand anything. He has a sick interest in disputes about Yahweh's Word. And he's going to end up busting Gehenna wide open if he doesn't repent. And that goes for each and every person in here that is involved in sin if you don't repent. It doesn't start and stop with homosexuality. It's all of it. And if you are living in unrepentant sin, you'll bust it wide open right with him. And so will I. If we don't repent. John the Baptist came crying in the wilderness, Repent! Yeshua said, repent. That means stop practicing your sin. Get a grip on yourself. We live in such a way in society that we feel like there's never going to be an end to our life. But it becomes so real when we have young people that die or people that die before their time, so to speak, before they are elderly, when we expect generally, usually for people to die then we realize, but only for a time, but then we realize how short life is. But most people live in such a way as though death will never come upon them. We've got to have repentance in our life. We've got to teach the sound doctrine of the Messiah. Paul goes on to write in verse 5 how that these men come, from these men come things like envy and quarreling and slander, evil suspicions, constant disagreement. Paul says this all takes place amongst people whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth. The word depraved in the Greek here literally means to rot or to ruin. Their mind is rotting and it's ruining. 
They have rotten minds, and deprived literally means to be robbed. Their minds have been robbed of the truth. And a lot of times, this is not popular, but a lot of times Yahweh is the one that's robbed them because they didn't have a love for the truth. And Yahweh said, because you had not a love for the truth, and I'm going to send you a strong delusion, so you will believe a lie. Yahweh sends it. He might use means to do it, but he is the author of that strong delusion. The fact is that these people, whether or not we want to admit it, they're wrong, they're going to hell, and they hate Yahweh. They hate His ways, and they're more interested in only picking out the parts of the Bible that agree with their worldview or their paradigm, and they completely ignore the other parts of Scripture. These people are not Bible believers. They're not followers of Yahweh and Yeshua. They're tares amongst the wheat. They're goats amongst the sheep, and they're false converts. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. Do you know what that power is? That power is the ability to live the changed life when you look at that in context. The ability to live free from sin. Whenever you hear somebody question the authoritative teachings of Scripture, the authoritative teachings of the Father or the Son, it's time for you to remove yourself from their presence. Paul ends verse 5 by saying that these false, conceited teachers imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. This brings us to verses 6 through 8. Let's look at verses 6 through 8. Paul says, but godliness with contentment is a great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. Paul writes here in verse 6 a contrast to the latter part of verse 5. Whereas the false teachers teach that godliness is a way to material gain, Paul says, on the contrary, godliness with contentment is where the gain is. That's where you have the great gain. And when I read of teachers that teach godliness is a way to material gain right here, I cannot help but think of the boatload of prosperity preachers on television that teach that godliness is a means to material gain. They claim that their method of godliness is a way to achieve so much material gain in this world. And what is usually their definition of godliness? Give to this ministry. That's their definition. And you will be blessed. And you shouldn't be giving any amount of money to somebody that doesn't believe in the Father and the the Son, the true Father and the true Son, and and teaches against the Torah. Your money shouldn't go to them. You're promoting, you're being a partaker in their sins. Now, I believe in giving, giving of many things, including monetary giving. I believe in all of that. But if you have any inkling of Yahweh in your heart and in your mind, then you ought to know that these preachers are not running a ministry that's worth financing. They're not. They're false prophets. They never teach the Bible. Never. They teach little anecdotes, little stories that tickle the ear. They tell people what they want to hear, and that's how they receive money from so many people. Because if you tell somebody what they want to hear and it tickles their ear, they love to have it that way and they love to give to something like that. Tell me that I'm saved. Even though I'm lost, I want to hear the words that I'm going to be okay. That's what they're doing. That's what these preachers are doing. And all you ever hear about is how that serving Yahweh is a means to monetary gain. That's all you ever hear about. It is sinful to teach people that godliness is a means to material gain. It's wrong. Are some godly people wealthy? Yes. Does that mean that if you are godly, you will automatically be wealthy? No. There are godly rich people 
And there are godly poor people all through the Bible. The Bible is full of examples of poor people amongst the righteous in Israel. You've got the extremes on both situations. You've got the prosperity movement. They teach that if you're not rich, something's wrong with your life. Then you've got people like in the Amish and Mennonite groups, and they teach that you've got to be poor, and something's wrong if you are rich. The Bible shows rich, righteous people and poor, righteous people. It teaches both of them. And this is why Paul writes in verse 6 that godliness, that is holy living with contentment, that means being content with what you have, that's great gain. Paul then gives us a reason in verse 7 as to why this makes sense. The reason is that when we entered this world, we brought nothing in with us, and when we leave, we won't take anything out with us. When we're born, we're born naked from our mother's womb. We don't have anything that we bring into this world. And when we leave, we're not going to leave with anything. Anything. I know they put some beautiful, beautiful clothes on people in coffins, but those clothes don't leave with the people. They don't. They don't take any of that with them. doesn't matter how much this money is spent on that coffin. That person doesn't know anything about it. They leave with just as much as they came. That's why Paul says godliness with contentment is great gain. We didn't bring anything into this world, and we're not going to take anything out. Now, that doesn't mean we can't have things like clothing, food, a vehicle, a home. The Scripture teaches that many people of Yahweh have these things. But what it means is this. It means that our pursuit, our goal, our aim in life should be one thing. That is, first and foremost, to love Yahweh. Secondarily, to love our neighbor. That's the two greatest commandments. Everything else hinges on those two. We should follow those two commandments to the best of our ability. And if it turns out that in following those two things, that we have a lot of material things, that's fine. But if it turns out that Yahweh would rather have us as not having a lot of material things, that's fine too. You don't judge people's godliness by how much stuff or money they have. You don't. You know how you judge people's godliness? By how much Yahweh's working in their life in the area of their obedience as fruit of their justification. That's how you judge. You know them by their fruit. You look at them. They love Yahweh. They pray. They fast. They keep a lot of commandments and they train their children. They love their wife, but they're poor. So be it. So be it. Doesn't mean that anything's wrong with their life, but these false prophets out here will tell you that something's wrong in their life because they're not rich. That's sinful. That's wrong. Paul says it right here. You don't teach that godliness is a means to material gain. You don't do that. Paul ends verse 8 by saying this, that if we have food and clothing, and literally the word clothing in the Greek refers to covering, and it can include clothing and shelter. And so what Paul's saying is if you've got food, if you've got clothes, and you've got shelter, that you need to be content with it. And you may not have the best clothes. You may not. You may not have the best food. (laughs) But you didn't bring anything into this world, and you're not going to take anything out. You live for Yahweh in this life, you'll be granted your treasures in the next. That's why he says don't lay them up here in this life. That should not be your goal. Your goal should be to love Yahweh and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And oh, how we need this contentment message today. People rise and fall based on how much stuff they have. Children are taught to pick their friends based on how much stuff this person or that person has. 
People are friendly with people that are popular. And they don't want to have anything to do with those that are not popular or those that are poor or those that may not have the nicest clothing or pair of shoes or have the nicest haircut. Why is this? Because of the mentality of uncontentedness in American society. Instead of teaching our children, listen, we don't respect people like that. What we do is we love our neighbor as we love ourselves. As a matter of fact, you should teach your children to go after the people that don't have any friends and befriend them and love them. Love the people that nobody else wants to love. We need to learn to be content in whatever state Yahweh places us in. And we don't need to be jealous if Yahweh chooses to place another brother in another state. Yahweh may have something totally different from another brother than He has for me. Yahweh may may want to bless this other brother with great riches to further His kingdom in that way. But He might not bless me in that area. He might bless me in other areas. I, I shouldn't look down on that brother for what Yahweh's given him. He shouldn't look down on me for what Yahweh has blessed me with. It may not be in the same area, but we're still receiving the blessings of Yahweh. And let me say this too. When we talk about the blessings of Yahweh, a lot of times our minds automatically go to money, and that's one way Yahweh blesses us is in our finances, but there's many other ways that He blesses us with. What about our help? What about our children? What about a good marriage? Amen. These are the blessings of Yahweh. They maketh one rich, and he addeth no sorrow with them. Be content. If you've got food, and you've got shelter, and you've got clothes, be content. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Oh, you'll live a life full of happiness. I just read yesterday about a couple in Canada, an elderly couple in their 70s. They won over $11 million in the lottery. And they gave all but 2% of it away. They started with their family, then they helped out hospitals that helped sick children. And they gave away to many charities. And they interviewed this elderly couple and they said, it's too much of a bother. We don't want everybody asking us to borrow money and, and, and we can't take it with us. We figured we'd just help everybody that we could out and we'd save a little bit back for a rainy day. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Oh man, what a blessing. That's somebody right there that's loving their neighbor as they love their self. That's somebody right there that's looking out for little children that are sick and their families can't afford to pay for them help-wise. And they said, well, we'll bless those families in this area. We'll bless those hospitals that take care of those little children that are born with birth defects or have cancer or something like that. And we'll try to seek to find a cure for that and try to seek to help them out in the area of medication and in health. Sounds to me like somebody's loving their neighbor as they love their self. And bless my heart. Don't listen to these prosperity preachers. Number one, they don't even preach the Bible, like I said before. And they teach other doctrine. So therefore they're conceited and they don't know nothing. they got a sick interest in arguing with Yahweh about His Word. Godliness with contentment is great gain. If you don't get anything else out of this message, let that sink deep into your ears. That's how you're going to be happy in life. To learn to be content with what Yahweh's given you and just continue to serve Him. Verses 9 through 10. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away 
from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Paul now elaborates more upon these conceited, ignorant, false teachers who teach that godliness is a means to material gain. And he says that those who want, and what he's dealing with is a desire here. Those who desire, those who want to be rich, fall into temptation. They fall into a trap. They fall into foolish and harmful desires, which cause people to be destroyed. He's speaking here of being destroyed spiritually, on top of physically, but spiritual destruction. The point is this, is that your goal in life should not be to be rich. That should not be your goal. Once again, what is your goal? Seek the kingdom. Love Yahweh, love your neighbor. That's your goal. That's what you pursue. Your goal should be to glorify Yahweh. You should constantly be seeking to build His kingdom in everything that you do. If in doing that, Yahweh sees fit to make you rich, that's fine. But if He does not, that's fine too. But you've got to keep your perspective and your priorities in order. Loving Yahweh and loving your neighbor. Once again, how this flies in the face, these verses fly in the face of so many in professing Christianity. Not too long ago, I saw the title of a sermon that was preached by a pastor that I personally know. And the title of the sermon was, God Wants You to Be Rich. That's ridiculous when you read this text right here. That pastor is causing people to set their goal and their desire on material gain, which is the exact opposite of what Paul's writing here. Paul's seeking, that should not be your desire. That should not be your desire. You'll fall into many harmful and hurtful lusts. Paul goes on in verse 10 to tell us that the love of money, in context, he's talking about material gain. Anything material, the love of that is a root of all kinds of evil. There are other roots of evil, but the love of material gain is one of them. Listen to these words from John Gill. This is a, I want you to listen to how he comments on this verse very, very wisely. Listen to this, quote, Of all the evils before mentioned, and of others, not money itself, as silver and gold, which are God's creatures and His gifts, and may be used to and answer many good purposes, but the love of it, and not any love of it, for there may be a lawful love of it and desire after it, so far as it is requisite to the necessities of life to answer the calls of providence, the duties we owe to God and men to serve the interest of Christ, and do good to fellow creatures and fellow Christians. But it is an immoderate, insatiable desire after it, and an inordinate love of it, which is here meant, such as is properly idolatry, as when a man loves it, not only besides, but above Yahweh, serves it as if it was Yahweh, and places his trust and confidence in it, independent of Yahweh and his providence. Such love of it is the source and the spring of all iniquity, as above. It was the sin of Judas and the root of all his iniquity. End of quote. What John Gill is saying is this. The text and the context is talking about this insatiable desire for materialness. We have it in society today. We have it in Hollywood. This insatiable desire for material gain. People that want to have more and more and more and they never get enough and they love it. And they treat it as though it was their mighty one. And you know what? It is. It is their mighty one. That's what they live for. That's what they die for. That's what makes them happy. Lack of it makes them sad. That is their God. And it's a root of all kinds of iniquity, brothers and sisters. 
people will do the most heinous things if promised material wealth. People will commit crimes that you may never think they could have committed if it promises them material gain and wealth. It's a root of all kinds of iniquity. John Gill states rightly that there is a lawful desire of material gain. Let me give you a few examples. It's lawful for me to go to work and to desire to make money to take care of my family. That's lawful. Sometimes I pray that Yahweh sends me money to be able to print up more books and literature so people can study the Word of Yahweh. Sometimes I do. I I say that in a prayer. I say, Father, I want you to send me, through whatever means, money to do this work for you. That's not an ungodly desire. That's not what this text is talking about. This text is talking about that you don't give Yahweh anything and you've let money and materialness become your God. You have. It's so funny. People judge the love that you have for them by the material things that they give you. We've got to get back to Yahweh being the sinner. Seeking Yahweh. I doubt sometimes about how I'm going to make it from day to day. Financially, materially. But my mind always goes back to Matthew 6. Seek ye first the kingdom. I'll take care of the rest. I'm paraphrasing. That's the Matthew Jansen version. Seek the kingdom first and I'll take care of the rest. Yahweh tells me. So what do I do? I just seek His kingdom more and more and more. I study. I meditate. I fast. I pray. I read my Bible. I seek His kingdom. Sometimes I fall short. Sometimes I catch myself going a day or two without doing the spiritual things that I'm used to doing in my life. And you know what? It's like Brother Jerry said, I feel less spiritual when I do that. But the more that I do for Yahweh, the bigger of a spiritual giant I feel. I feel like my muscles are bulging spiritually. Don't have many physically. (laughs) My bodily presence is weak, like Apostle Paul. But hopefully my words can be weighty and powerful. But the more that you do for Yahweh and the more focal that He becomes in your life, the greater you'll feel spiritually. Isn't that right, TJ? You do. The more you read, the more spiritual you feel. The more you fast, the more spiritual you'll feel. The more you pray, the more spiritual you'll feel. The more commandments that you obey, the more spiritual you'll feel. Why do you feel more spiritual when you do these things? Because you are. That's why. Because you are. Because He's the focal point. And do you notice how that when you get on these highs with Yahweh, and it's a wonderful high, you get on these highs with Yahweh, that a lot of times you still continue to work, you still continue to go about your mundane things in life, but you don't, you're not worried with them. But they all just fall into place. What's happening? Matthew 6 is taking place in your life. You're seeking the kingdom first, and Yahweh's taking care of everything else. It's not saying that you might not have ups and downs. There might be weeks when you don't know how you're going to make it materially, financially. Yahweh will take care of you, though. You're His child. You're His child. He'll feed you. He'll clothe you. He'll put shelter over your head. You're His child. He loves His children. He takes care of His sons and His daughters. This text is talking about when people's whole goal in life is money. I listened to a sermon one time by Kenneth Copeland. 
And one of the things in this sermon, he stopped and he got red beating his face. And I'm not going to do it like he did because I don't want to look like a foolish person. But he hollered out and did his fist, just hollered as loud as he could, Money! And the crowd went wild. And you look at the man's fruit, and he he is a follower of Satan and not of Yahweh. When you look at the fruit. Matthew seven fifteen or fifteen through twenty tells me that that's how I can know what's a true prophet and a false prophet is by their fruit. I look at the man's fruit. The man's been in ministry for a long time, a lot longer than me. He doesn't have any fruit of righteousness. A lot of people in Christianity today teach us that the, there is such a thing as a trinity. Kenneth Copeland said there's nine persons, not three. Because you've got in the Father, you've got three persons. In the Son, you've got three persons. In the Holy Spirit, you've got three persons. This is one of his teachings. Blows my mind. And people still come by the droves to hear what this man has to say. Why? Second Timothy 4 says, They will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears because they cannot endure sound doctrine. A lot of people can't listen to biblical preaching because they're only used to hearing non-biblical preaching. They'll turn their ears from the truth and they'll be turned to fables. Before we move on and close out this sermon, I want to look at the last words here of verse 10 where Paul says that some by craving after it, notice again, it's the desire, it's this insatiable desire. Some people by craving after it have wandered away from the faith. And don't you see how that happens? They may have been around the faith for a while, but their desire and their craving for the material, the temporary things, causing them to drift further and further away from the true faith. Listen, brothers and sisters, don't have that type of a love and a craving for material gain. Don't think that godliness is a way for you to get rich. It's not. He will meet your needs. He will supply all of your needs. And we get needs and desires and wants mixed up a lot. He will supply your needs if you follow Him. But it's not His desire that all of His saints are rich. It's not. Some of them are, some of them are not. But all of them are saints. Verses 11 through 12, we'll finish this out. This is what Paul tells us. He tells Timothy and he speaks it to us. He says, now you man of Yahweh, you run from these things. Run away from these things. Do like Joseph did when Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him and make him commit adultery. He ran. He got out of there. This is what you do. You run away from people that teach stuff like this. He says, but rather pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. These are these should be the things you pursue. And all of them have to do with loving Yahweh and loving your neighbor. Righteousness, that's keeping the law. Godliness, that's keeping the law. Faith, that's keeping the law. Love, that's keeping the law. Endurance. Continuing and gentleness. Verse 12, fight the good fight for the faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and have made a good confession before many witnesses. Paul urges Timothy and us to fight the good fight for the faith. Fight for the truth. Don't let people take it. Fight for it. Grab on to eternal life. You've made a confession about this true faith in the presence of many witnesses here at this assembly. Don't let go of it. Fight for it. Believe in it. Hold on to it. Stick with the truth. When everybody else is going the opposite direction, you stick with the truth. 
it doesn't matter how many people believe a falsehood. We're pressured to go with the majority. When we believe something, even though the Bible says it forthrightly, sometimes it's hard because everybody else is doing something different. I mean, look at a lot of these churches out here that don't teach the Bible. They've got thousands and thousands of members. And you think, well, how in the world, you know, and I'm not saying everybody in those churches is bad. I'm not saying that. Y'all, we could have some children in there that he's working on. But they've got thousands and thousands of members. But guess what? Those members didn't come from teaching the truth of Scripture. They actually came from not teaching it. We've got to be an assembly where, you know, I'm concerned with, with people and I love to have people. I love to have members of this assembly. But I can't let that love and that concern drive me away from teaching the truth. You know, I can't be afraid of, of people leaving the assembly because the truth is taught. I can't. Don't follow false teachers. Take hold of eternal life. Don't believe them when they veer away from sound doctrine. Error is still error, no matter if everybody believes it. And the truth is still the truth, even if nobody believes it. It is. And when you're all alone and you're reading something in the Bible and you're saying, but man, the Bible says this, and you've got millions of people saying something opposite, don't go with the millions. You stick with the Word. Stick with the Word. Grab a hold of that eternal life. Fight the good fight of faith. Don't follow the other doctrines. Stand firm for what is true. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close in a word of prayer.